Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with JT Smith, serial entrepreneur and creator of The Game Crafter, an American manufacturer that focuses on short-run production of board games. The Game Crafter is now the world's largest print-on-demand game manufacturer and my personal go-to resource for creating prototypes. JT, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Well, at least great considering the world as it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there no podcast on board gaming, especially on the mechanics of how to put a board game together is complete without having the Game Crafter on. And it, uh, so you've been on the list from the very beginning and uh, we're glad to finally have you on here. And, I'm so uh, glad to be here. Oh, it's awesome. So let's start off uh, talking to the audience. For those who don't know, what is the Game Crafter? The Game Crafter is a uh, manufacturer of board games. Basically, we specialize in short-run board games. So that means as few as just one copy. Uh, You basically design your game, uh, upload the artwork to our website, uh, pick out uh, some components like dice or pawns, uh, and and then you can order a copy for yourself. About a week later, you get a copy in the mail. Um, you, uh, You can also then put it up for sale in our shop if you like. And uh, there you can, you know, sell it to the rest of the world right from our store. Uh, We handle all of the production, the manufacturing, all of that kind of stuff. And like I said, there's no minimum. So it makes it really straightforward for you to design your own games. That's super cool. I, uh, as I said, I am definitely a, uh, an avid uh, follower of the Game Crafter uh, and user. Uh, for those who are watching and the audio, I'll just describe it for audio podcasters, but I recently was working on a prototype for an upcoming game called Nutty Squirrels. And they can do everything from punch outs where you can see there's radius corners on this little player board with, uh, with holes where we needed them. That's uh, really cool. Player pieces, so you can get uh, meeples and cubes of various colors. I had a punch out for a centerpiece on the board. We had uh, even cards, right? So different little mini cards uh, for people to play. And the quality, when this arrived, the very first time I used you guys, I, I was shocked, pleasantly shocked uh, at the, how high quality the components were. Thank so you. I was thinking, you know, this thing's going to come by, take a couple of weeks and I'll get it. And then it's going to be, yeah, you know, it'd be obviously better than I could do myself, but nowhere near what a, a finished game will look like. And uh, like, I, I was, I was literally, I did a box opening and I was just looking at it and I, w- I was, I was, I was almost speechless. I was like, wow, like the quality of the printing, the quality of the cutting, uh, what was awesome. And what was cool is when we were play testing this game and we'll get back to you talking, but let me talk here for a second. Um, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so when we were playing this game at our game nights, people were walking by saying, wow, what is that game? Where, where'd you get that game? Oh, that's, that's a, that's a prototype that hasn't been launched yet. Like it, it visually played itself like an actual game. So right. That's what gets me really excited about a service like yours where, you know, we've got a lot of game developers and, and um, you know, people who are getting into the gaming industry who we always recommend start off doing, you know, the paper and scissors and use, you know, your craft supplies to get your yep. rough pro- prototypes done to get your mechanics worked out. But once you've done that and you're ready to go to the play testing stage, something like a service you provide at the Game Crafter where you get an actual prototype that is of high quality uh, to me is important because that's when you get the people walking by saying, what is that? And they want to play because it looks like an actual game. Is that, is that kind of what you, what you see as well? 
Oh yeah. It's uh, having, it's a visceral thing to see that game real, right? It's, it's good both for the game designer from, from a morale point of view. Uh, and it's also really good for attracting playtesters because it looks like a game that they would buy at any store anywhere in the world. And so it, uh, it doesn't look like a prototype and that makes them much more willing to sit down and go, oh, look, this looks cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely what we strive for. Uh, we've spent the last 10 years like just doing everything we can to increase the quality every opportunity we get. And uh, I think it really shows. So, so how did this it, start? Like, take us through the background. Like, let's reverse the clock back to when you first kicked. So 10 years. So when you kicked this off, right. how, how did it start? How did you get into this? Uh, well, in, back in late 2008, I, was, um, I owned a business called Plain Black w- uh, with two business partners. And we were doing uh, software consulting for governments and businesses around the world. And I was also just a hobbyist game designer at the same time. I was designing games. And I kept printing out my games and doing the craft project at home like everybody does, right? Yeah. And I was so sick of doing the craft project. I want to design the game, not like sit there cutting out and printing stuff and all that. It, it just, it was annoying. So I started looking around and there was just nobody. I found husks of companies that came and went that were doing this and went out of business. And, um, and so I, I'm like, well, maybe we can do this. So I pitched it to my partners and they thought it was absolutely insane uh, to do this. But I'm like, all right, we're not trying to make a million dollars off of this. We're just trying to break even, make this a little hobby business. It can show off the new e-commerce features of the software we're working on, all that kind of stuff. And they were like, okay, let's, let's give it a try. Uh, so in 2009, we launched the beta version of the Game Crafter. And uh, <laughs> at the time, quality was pretty poor. Uh, also, we had uh, poker-sized playing cards, a couple of paper mats, and that was it. That was our component list, right? Like, I mean, I guess yeah. we had some dice and, and stuff like that, but there were no, you know, we had four printables, not 200 like we have today. <laughs> no boxes of any kind. So, so these are standard sizes. You had like kind of, hey, if you want to do your, your prototype, here's your, you know, your four items you get to choose from in terms of sizes. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, we had one size of cards, poker-sized cards. And then we had these mats. There was like the, the skinny mat, the large mat, and the bifold mat for the two uh, that we had. And that, that was it. That was, that was what your choices were for making your game. And it was just on regular cardstock and we were printing using a regular photocopier. It was not, it was not high quality, but it was a service so that you didn't have to do the craft project at your home. How did you guys so, cut it out back then? So the poker size, were you cutting them out by hand? Did you have some kind of a die pre-formatted to do the, like how did you do the cutting then and things like that? Yeah. Well, in the very first uh, early days, we just used a, a regular guillotine like you'd see at a library or yeah. a, a copy shop. Um, so we would cut the cards down to the right shape with a guillotine. And that's all we did with mats. They were just cut with a guillotine. But then to get the round corners, we bought this corner rounding machine. Cost like $3,000 or something. And it just was a kind of half moon shaped blade and you would just on one corner, turn the deck on another corner. So it was a very manual process and it was not at all accurate. Uh, You know, sometimes you, you wouldn't have the deck quite lined up in there. And so you'd get a little bit of a rounded anyway. So it was terrible. It was really bad in the early days. (laughs) Um, And then we, I don't know, like six months later, we bought a die cutter, which, you know, we went from cutting like 
three cards a minute to cutting like six cards a minute or something. It was, it was still terrible and it was slow and it was inaccurate. But eventually we figured it out. We weren't printing people, you know, this was not a thing that we knew. We knew the technology side so we could build the website so people could upload their games. And that was really the key to the game crafter in the early days is the reason all these other companies went out of business, the ones that I mentioned before that I saw the husks of them, but not, you know, like I could see a web page or a forum where somebody mentioned somebody, but then the company's web page was dead. Yeah. Um, the reason they all went out of business is that they tried to do it the traditional print rate way, which is a very manual process of emailing back and forth with the customer, having them lay out their stuff to the appropriate uh, printing plates, you know, and getting them to do everything. And you're emailing back and forth 30 times by the time you actually have to print things. And then you're printing one copy. There's no profit to be made. Hence why you would go out of business. And what we did as a technology company is we built software to make that whole ingestion process automated. And so uh, you could upload your cards and we would generate the printing templates that we needed for our backend equipment. So you didn't have to know anything about our backend equipment. The other thing that was beautiful about that is because we were changing our processes, refining how we did it all the way along, we could change the entire backend system and you wouldn't have a clue that we did anything because you just gave us your card images. You didn't give us a printing plate. Sure. Right. So uh, that was it. That was how we were off to the races. So we were in beta for, I think it was two years. And, uh, and then two years later, I released a a blog post called a crafters manifesto. And I said, look, we're going to do this for real. You know, so far this was a test to see what would happen. And our goal, (laughs) our goal in the early days was if we could get a hundred copies, hundred games a month printed and shipped, uh, that would be enough to kind of pay for the copier and, you know, the equipment we had and the staff, that sort of thing. In our first month, we shipped over 400 games. Uh, And that was in, uh, that was actually in half a month because our first month we started in the middle of July. In that first half of a month, we did 400 games. We did a thousand games the next month and we just kept going from there. And so there was obviously a need for this service that I had no idea existed when I pitched it to my partners. So, and then obviously as it grew, then you'd invest in more equipment and so forth. So, um, you know, the game crafter back then when you're literally dealing with, you know, photocopiers and manually rounding corners on cards to where you are today, (laughs) right? Like, are, are you, is it still the manufacturing still done uh, in the States or is it part of it brokered out, out of country or how does that kind of work right now? 100% United States right here in Madison, Wisconsin. All American. Um, that surprised me too when I, when I was reading your profile. I'm like, I got to ask him about that because it's almost too good to be true, right? Because usually <laughs> to get, um, you know, a, a decent price on low print quantities, you're, you're going offshore, right? You're going to China. Right. Um, so, so that's surprising. So it's, it's made. And so now in the States, you've got this, uh, this manufacturing plant, how big is the manufacturing plant? Uh, today it's 15,000 square feet, which may sound like a lot, but it's really tiny for a factory. Yeah. Um, when we first started, we were in a hundred square feet. Uh, wow. we rented a little office, the same office where the onion got started, actually the, the newspaper. Yeah. Um, that's where we started. And, we were 100 square feet. We quickly went to 200 square feet, and then we outgrew. We rented up half the basement of that building, 
and we knew we were running out. So we moved to another building where we had like 4,000 square feet. And then the next year we leased the second half of that building. And so now we're at, like I said, 15,000 square feet. It's taken, you know, 11, we're 11 years as of July, uh, that we've been around and we went from hundred square feet to 15,000 in 11 years. <laughs> and we went from hand making cards to a fully automated uh, card production line. Like there's maybe five to 10% human time involved in mm. making cards at this point. It's mostly automated. So and all your uh, machines do these, these player boards. Uh, now I know that you, there's always a little, card in there that warns us say, Hey, there's a little bit of soot. It's going to be where the mm-hmm. cut marks are. Make sure you wipe that off, uh, which is fine. Um, so they're, they're laser cut, I guess, are they? The cards are cut by steel and okay. so is a lot of different things. Um, but the, uh, but those custom player, player boards, boards like you yeah. just had Punch there, and things like that. those are uh, cut by laser. And we actually, the product page that you were showing earlier, mm-hmm. it actually says right on the product page, what type of cutting it uses. So you can know what to expect before you get it. But yeah, the custom stuff we have to do with laser because, I mean, the tooling on that custom thing could be $1,000 um, if we were to get yeah. a die made. Uh, so it just doesn't make sense because you, you wanted one copy of that, right? You didn't want <laughs> 1,000 copies. And how, so. how quick does that machine work? Like, does it, like, how fast will it punch out, like, a, a, a player board? This thing, he's got, like, two large holes for the people listening. Right. Two little tiny holes that hold uh, cubes. And the uh, rounded corners, how long would that take to, to cut something like that out? The board looks to me to be something like six inches by eight inches, something yeah, like that size. That, yeah. yeah. So uh, that would probably take about a minute, maybe, for huh. the machine to cut. Um, a whole sheet of that, you know, assuming we punched out a whole sheet of those, maybe, maybe six or eight minutes, depending on, you know, the whole sheet. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's slow by our, by comparison of cards that are steel cut by a robot, right? Yeah. And the thing is, <laughs> choo, 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 just punches yeah. them, right? Where this is now cut, but still that's fairly fast. But I mean, yeah, it's not, a, right. Yeah, uh, it's not terrible. Type, right? And, and so I guess you, um, and it was again too into the technical details. So you guys <laughs> apply the graphics first and then it goes in and cuts or does it cut and the graphics go on afterwards or how does that work? Uh, it depends on the product actually, but most things it works just like a traditional print run where you would, uh, you print the subs or the, the surface of the Mm -hmm. material, uh, you glue it onto whatever the substrate is and then cut it from there. And all your printing and everything's all in house. How big's the team now? So you must've started with what, like three people at the beginning, right? Started with one part-time person. Um, and we now have 41 people on staff. Wow. That's a lot of people in 50,000 square feet, actually. Eh? Yeah, that's a lot of people. Well, we run, <laughs> we run um, uh, all, all week long from, uh, from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week. So those, those 41 people are spread out across two different shifts across seven days a week. Gotcha. And you have some people, obviously, that are doing like the layouts and so forth on the computer. You got other people manning the equipment. Nobody's doing layouts. That's actually all done by a computer. Oh, the computer uh, automatically does all that. Oh yeah, we, I wow. spent I spent a long time writing all the code that actually takes. So it's not just that that uh, piece that we talked about before, where you upload your cards through the user interface. Then from there, when you place an order, there's a there's a little. Eh, it'd be overstating it to call it an AI, but it's approaching that. Um, yeah. That uh, is called the stitcher, and it takes all of the stuff that you've uploaded and converts it into whatever is needed for the manufacturing process and then outputs that to the machine 
whatever machine needs to print it, cut it, whatever. Uh, so all of that part is entirely automated. No human ever sees any of it. That's crazy. So, yeah. Wow. From the user experience. So when I went on to your, your website, um, you know, you can choose the different components. So it's, it's well laid out to give you the different types of components you can do. And when I did my player boards, I did them as punch outs. So large punch outs. And what it, it required me to do is say, okay, it would say upload your, the front, right? Upload the back yep. and then upload your die line. So you would create in Photoshop or whatever your, or Illustrator, your, the lines where you want the cuts to happen. And it gives you a little guidance that, you know, make sure you leave a break in the line so that there's something for the actual stuff to still stick to when the machine, you know, cuts out the circle so you can actually punch it out. Uh, yep. But it was fairly easy. On, so I got to imagine that that's, that's the competitive advantage for you, right? Is how easy it is for the user. And then on your, the back end where it can get labor intensive and very uh, expensive, your automation on the computer side seems to be what's really helped you guys kind of stay above the fold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the game crafter couldn't exist without the automation and uh, you know, well, it's really the automation that that's what comes down to making it. That's how we get cheap enough. You know, for you, yeah. you mentioned, how's it, how's it that you can order something online or, you know, in the United States and have it be this cheap? It's because of the automation. Um, you know, obviously not everything is fully automated because we wouldn't have 41 people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, I think it's 30 of them actually work in the production floor. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are mechanics and customer service people and other stuff too, but 30 of them work on the floor actually make, making games. So it's, even though we're automated, there's still a lot of people putting their hands on the games, making them for you. Um, and yeah, we couldn't exist without that. So for us, it really comes down to kind of two things that are what makes the Game Crafter amazing. One is automation, which we just talked about. The second thing is community involvement. Mm. We, from day one, we have done everything we possibly can to engage our audience so that they can um, share their creations so that they can give us feedback about what we need to add to the site uh, so that they can help each other um, and collaborate uh, and so that we can reward them for the things that they do in our community. What, which countries do you, do you ship to every country around the world? Like is this a worldwide or? Uh, we ship to 168 countries, not every country in the world, but most of them. Uh, although right now during the pandemic, there's a lot of countries not accepting packages. So yeah. we have a list of countries that we can't ship to currently. Um, it's so right now we're at about 120 countries that we can ship to. Um, but, uh, you know, that's slowly coming back, uh, you know, as, as yeah. countries start to reopen a little bit. Um, now is that majority so, the the U.S., Canada, and, and the U.K. Is that kind of where the bulk of that's going, or the top four are those three plus Australia? Australia as well, yeah. Yeah. Has uh, Kickstarter been the big uh, uh, kind of inflection point for you guys? Is that what really kicked off the the demand for prototyping, or were you seeing it even before Kickstarter? We started the same year as Kickstarter, um, and uh, we. Initially, for the first many years, we didn't see anything from Kickstarter at mm. all, honestly. Uh, it's only been probably in the last four to five years where Kickstarter has really amped up our business, like where we yeah. can see a direct line of, you know, there's 20% of our business comes from Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, have, we have streams of revenue coming in from all different types of audiences, but Kickstarter definitely is a big part of that. You know, when somebody has, a, has something and they need us to fulfill it and ship yeah. it out to all their customers. 
and there's two elements to that, right? So one side is the, uh, the prototyping, right? So somebody's yep. getting ready for Kickstarter, like, like we're doing right now with Nutty Squirrels, right? So we're getting ready for a Kickstarter campaign. We need live prototypes to, to yep. do. So we're not necessarily going to use the Game Crafter for fulfillment or even manufacturing, right. but it was a necessary step for us to get prepared in a proper way uh, for that campaign. So we have things we can take pictures of and images of and, uh, you know, show play testing and so forth. So you really kind of have sending out to reviewers too, right? And send it to reviewers. Yeah. So the, and I guess that is more the, the other side that we should, you know, love to kind of hear about is how the Kickstarter fulfillment part has worked for you guys. I've got one colleague, um, Bobby, the board game hacker, he's been on this podcast. Uh, he did a game and they did the entire thing with game crafter. So oh, uh, cool. they did the, the production and, um, and fulfillment all through game crafter. Now their, their pledge level was a little bit smaller. So they were going for um, uh, like a smaller kind of target. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them, the math, they went through the math and they said, okay, there's, you know, there's two different scenarios here. One is if, you know, if our uh, pledge level reaches this level, well, then we're going to do game crafter to, to mitigate our risk. You know, right. if we can get like substantially higher than that, then okay, well, we've got this other manufacturing uh, track we're going to take. Yep. Do you see those kind of economies? Like when you get up to the larger or is that kind of, it's really the, the, the small run is where you guys play, right? Like when you get up into the tens of thousands of games is... Right. It starts to make economic sense to move from the game crafter to someone else uh, right around four or 500 copies. Okay. Um, because the, the thing is, what at our 500 copy price is what you are going to pay at a thousand copies somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, for somebody that specializes in large run. Sure. Um, now... Uh, that said, we do orders of a thousand copies all the time. So it's not like uh, just because of that. It's the reason that we also, that we still do thousand copy orders is because of the easy button, right? Mm. People have already designed their game with the game crafter. They know how the process works. They can order a thousand copies by pushing a button. They don't have to figure out how to import stuff from China. They don't have to interact with people they don't know. Uh, They can just go. Um, And so, uh, I mean, the largest that we've ever done, I think it was a 3,000 uh, unit Kickstarter. Okay. Something like that. Um, we've done a couple of those, but uh, not for quite a while now. Most of the time, if you're getting up into those numbers, it just doesn't make any sense to do it here because uh, manufacturing costs are so low in China. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I, like I can't even imagine how they make any money doing it, really, <laughs> at, the, at the prices yeah. they charge. No, granted, with that, there comes a, a added layer of complexity, right? So if there's yes. people looking to get into games and to do their own board game, and I mean, let's face it, a lot of people do board games, not because they're trying to make money. Right. They just don't want to lose money, right? They just yep. want to have something that they've created that other people are playing. Yeah, get it out there and make people happy. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think it's an amazing thing, you know, having created games myself, right? Like seeing somebody else play something you've created, is an incredible feeling. Um, but you can get that by doing a hundred games. You don't have to do five, yeah. 10,000 games. Cause you start getting into some other things. Like we talked to with James Stagmeyer in our last interview, uh, you know, storage costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. If you're not moving all those games, so you have a minimum of, you know, a thousand games of the Chinese manufacturer and your pledges are 200 backers. Well, guess what? You're sitting on 800 games and you got to store yeah. them somewhere. Right. And which country Absolutely. are you storing them in and all this, all this other uh, complexity comes with that. So what's kind of cool, I guess, about your service is that there's some people that just, they want to keep it simple. They want to get their game out and then not have to worry about the storage and everything. If somebody wants to add an additional game, they can do that with you, right? Like you actually right. have a store that they, they can use as part of their. Yeah. 
Yep, absolutely. We have the online store. So you literally, you just push another button and it's published to our store. We sell, if, if we sell a copy for you, um, we uh, manufacture it, ship it out, do the customer service on it. And we just put a royalty into your PayPal account. Like yeah. that's all you have to do is collect the royalty on it. Um, so it makes it pretty simple. With regard to, you know, what you, you were talking about, was it Bobby? Was that his name? Bobby the Board uh, Game Hacker. Yeah, Bobby the Board Game Hacker. Yeah. With regard to what you're talking about there, that's actually something we encourage. We're like, if you're a first-time game designer yeah. uh, and you don't have a huge audience behind you, why would you set this enormous goal that you have to, that's going to be hard to reach? Set a small goal of a couple thousand dollars that you, that'll get you your game from the Game Crafter, 100 copies. And if you happen to get, you know, 10,000, 15, 30,000, whatever it is to make yeah. a long-run copy of your game, great, go do that. But you've got this option where you can make just a small run and be successful and build your audience and then parlay that onto your next one and see if you can make even more the next time. And eventually you'll build that audience big enough where you can, you know, go straight to the long run. But yeah. um, it, it makes it easier to be successful right out of the gate. In fact, we even have a thing called the manufacturing agreement, uh, design, design manufacturing agreement. Uh, that you can work out with our customer service people that if you sign on to have your game manufactured with us uh, we will promote it for you we'll promote your kickstarter for you through all of wow. our social media channels and then if you happen to sell more than 400 copies we tear up the agreement you can then go uh you can go manufacture it wherever you want so that's so do it. me a favor. I want you to recap that and put that in a comment in the board game binge uh, uh, newsfeed. Cause I got, sure. I didn't, I didn't know that that is, that's, yeah. that's a great deal, right? That, and, that's taking risk away from people that are, you know, looking to create a game, but they're worried, you know, gosh, you know, if I do kind of crush my goal and Bobby and he ended up crushing his goal, but yeah. if I end up crushing my goal um, and you know, maybe I get into tens of thousands, you know, am I going to be stuck? But you know, what you're saying is that, you're not stuck, you know, you're, you're, you're willing to kind of ride that wave. Of, and not only that, promote them. That is a single hardest thing that I keep coming across when I talk to anybody on, on games, you know, making the game, that's the easy part. It really right. is. Making the game is the easy part. Manufacturing, a little bit harder. Um, Kickstarter, some difficulty there, but guess what? Promoting your game, building an audience, getting the word out about your game. That is a single hardest thing to do. Uh, out of that entire Kickstarter campaign. So the fact you guys are willing to, to help with that is, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, and it's, I, we think it's building that community that we were talking about before. You know, it's all about community. So yep. here's our way of giving back. You're going to manufacture it with us. Great. If you happen to hit it out of the park, we're going to still back you. We want you to be successful. So why wouldn't we promote you and then let you out of the contract if you're, uh, if you're successful? Like, why, why wouldn't we? Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. Now, one thing I noticed when I've been following your site over the uh, you know past year and a half is from time to time, you, like there's new meeples being added in, in different shapes and size. So how does that come about? Is it based on a project you're working on? Now you've got the die so you can make more of those meeples or how does that, these things you keep adding on, like, you know, how does that kind of play out? Uh, well, it happens in a number of different ways. So we, um, we can manufacture some meeples in-house. Uh, so we, we can just laser cut acrylic as an example. And hmm. so we get different colors of acrylic and we can cut down, cut the pieces. We can print on that acrylic. Um, and then we've got those pieces in our shop. That's one way. 
Another way is that we will source them from some supplier, like we might know a supplier in Germany or China or Canada or wherever mm -hmm. it is, and we will import those and just warehouse them. And then the third way that happens is that we buy pieces from publishers, whether they be a small publisher or somebody huge. Uh, and so uh, you mentioned Jamie Stegmeyer was your last guest. Yeah. Um, he and I do business all the time where we buy, uh, you know, like he'll, he'll have um, extra copies of, of games left over, or he'll have extra parts left over that he was using as replacement parts. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, you're just sitting there with a with a pallet full of parts that you're spa spending uh, warehouse space for, yeah. and nobody's asking for those replacement parts anymore. And so I'll literally just buy the pallet of parts from him and stock them in our store. So uh, so just to get rid of leftover stuff. So it's good for it's good for the publisher in that they're getting it off their books. They're not paying warehousing fees for it or anything like that. Yeah. They're and they're not they're not putting it into the waste stream. So that's good there and they get some money for it and it's good for me and it's good for the community because now we've got a whole bunch of new parts that we uh, didn't have to figure out where to source them from. Just put them up in the shop and now other people can make games out of those parts. Do you guys 3D print as well? We have 3D printers in house. We do not use 3D printing for manufacturing parts because it's just too slow. So can you see do... that speeding up at some point? Like, can you see yourselves at some point getting to part of your service where the person would, you know, upload an STL file and, uh, you know, a 3d model and you guys would be able to print it out for them or. Yeah. I mean, we've experimented with that and honestly it probably will happen in the next year or two where we'll when the technology offer... gets there, I guess. Right. It's a technology, it's process, it's automation. There's a whole lot of different things that have to come together. Um, but it's probably something that we'll offer. It will be a relatively expensive thing. Uh, we've also been looking into, uh, other ways to do it a little bit faster, which is, you know, wait, like we might 3D print something and then we might resin cast it because uh, mm -hmm. you can cast things out of resin way faster than you can 3D print. <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, there's a bunch of different, depending on the needs, um, there are a bunch of different ways that you can do it. We've also been talking to some manufacturers here in the United States that do injection molding in a short run basis. Mm -hmm. So we've been thinking about potentially getting into partnering with them to, to handle that. So there's lots of ways we could go. We're just trying to figure out what the best way is for the customer and for our service. So where are you going? What's the next kind of frontier for you guys? Where, you know, where is the, is it another project altogether or is it the game crafter going to evolve to something even better oh. than it is now? <laughs> yeah. Well, we did another project a few years ago called Tabletop Events, which is a convention management platform to run conventions. Sure. We recently sold that to Board Game Geek. And so we're really happy with, being back to just one business. Um, so we're really gonna focus on enhancing the game crafter. Uh, right now we're going through and redoing the entire user interface. Uh, we're also building version two of our software called Component Studio, which is a design software to help you automate your game designs. Wow. Um, and so we're working on version two of that. And we're also working on a whole bunch of different uh, different products uh, coming out. So we re recently released uh, various sizes and types of books, for example, coil bound books and perfect bound books. And it, in our in our 10 year anniversary visit video at the end of last year, we teased that uh, hopefully we'll be having foil playing cards coming soon. Oh boy. Yeah. That's a game changer, right? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's got a lot of people pretty excited. Well, that's awesome. So once again, if somebody wants to uh, do a short run of their games, they go to where? 
They go to thegamecrafter.com. Thegamecrafter.com. And before that, you should go to component.studio to automate your game design. Perfect. Well, once again, I just want to say thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, it, uh, wow, it goes so quick. And uh, it I'm does. sure uh, you know, people listening realize uh, just how much I geek out over this stuff. So uh, <laughs> once again, thanks for your time. All the best to you and your family. You take care. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.